This is Corey Gray and Tony Stewart from Hairdistry. Thank you for tuning in to the Hairdressers Podcast. Now here's a word from our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Elizabeth Fay, and I am a huge Schedulisty fan, enthusiast, um, promoter. So what Schedulisty can really do for your business and what it can do for your life um, is so amazing. So it's a modern tool that's going to help you systemize all the procedures in your business. And they're probably some of them are ones you didn't even know you have or you should have. It's going to systemize them. It's going to make everything streamline and do it for you while you sleep. And this is the way that you can make more money and have more quality of life. So everything from upping your rebooking rates to taking deposits, helping you enforce your no-show and cancellation policies, all the way to your email marketing, and even the way you get tipped and process payments. It's like having a front desk, an assistant, and a virtual assistant all in one in your pocket for such an affordable price. So if you haven't already gotten... Hello, everyone. My name is Jerry Natuno, and this amazing podcast is brought to you by Schedulicity. What's going on, brother? Today's a big one. Oh, man. It's, it's been over a year in the making. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. You know, like, it's funny. When we started this podcast, we had a bunch of names in the crosshairs, right? This yeah. is the hit list. Uh-huh. And today we get to knock one of them off. One of the hit list. Well, uh, more than a hit list, it was more like a dream list. Like, like when we did yeah. our dream list, like, who would we like to talk to in the industry? And and, and our guest today was definitely uh, in that list. Yeah, we, uh, he Along with uh, the Trevor Sorbys and, you know, the people that we grew up under Mm -hmm. that we kind of like looked up to that Mm -hmm. mentored us. And uh, he's one of those guys. He's definitely one of those guys. He is the uh, the mentor's mentee or the mentee's mentor or or, or something like that. Something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, today we're really excited because we have we have Michael Gordon um, on the podcast. Uh, Michael is is I mean, he's he's a legacy in our industry and he. you know, Michael, uh, he's the founder of Bumble and Bumble. Um, he uh, he co-produced or produced the the Vidal Sassoon, the movie. Um, he's also uh, he's the author of Hair Heroes. Hair Heroes, which is a book about yeah. hair heroes, right? Right. I wonder and, if he put himself in there. I don't know. what we'll to ask him. <laughs> I wonder if we. I wonder if we can get a revision and get us in there. <laughs> not. <laughs> There's the hero part that we're, that we're missing, yeah. you know. <laughs> right. Definitely. Um, yeah, yeah. So we're excited to talk uh, talk to him uh, again. I mean, we 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 we've been trying to get him on for I don't know a year and a half or so, and and you know today's the day. Today it all comes comes to fruition. Yeah, I am so looking forward to having this conversation about you know because as much as I studied him, you know what I mean. I, I feel like I already know a lot about it, but I you know to hear him kind of go through it and then yeah. you know what is he up to now you know right. which is exciting so uh man I, I can't wait to get into this conversation brother shall we do it let's do it let's do it so mr michael gordon welcome to your day off yeah thank you good to be here good to meet you uh, we really oh sorry we re- really really appreciate you being here and honestly we we uh 
you were literally on our on our uh, dream list. You know, we did interview uh, Trevor. We got Vivian McKinder, and uh, but you know, you were amongst you know one of our our, our initial top ten guests to come on the podcast, and you know, we get to knock another one off today. And and, and literally, thank you so much for coming on. That's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me and being patient. <laughs> right. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, I mean, before we went on, you know, uh, Tony and I, we grew up in a hair salon um, or in, inside of Washington, D.C. And, um, you know, the owner w- is British. And so we have this like, I don't know, this this fascination with British hairdressing. And, 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 and you know, like Tony said, it was, it was Trevor and, and Vivian and, and, and a few others there. So Graham Webb. Graham, oh, yeah. We had Graham. We had Graham on as well. So I, anyways, you know, again, you know, to reiterate what Tony was saying, like, you know, we're just, we're just happy to kind of, to kind of bring you in. So, so Michael, where, where'd you grow up? I grew up in, in London, in England. Um, uh, yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> but you're a second, are you a second generation hairdresser? Yes. My mother was a hairdresser. Um, I was, yeah. a, I guess it was her dream and, uh, Eventually, a dream came true, and uh, I used to stop off there after school most days. It was it was uh it, it was her it was her dream for her to be a hairdresser, or it was her dream for you to be a hairdresser? Oh, for her, not for me. <laughs> no, they were just uh, no. <laughs> they they were very lenient. My parents they didn't put much pressure on, and so I didn't really sort of do much at school. There was no carrot for me to nothing to incentivize me so I, I by default became a hairdresser you could say as you always in a thing that is interesting well I guess some of it's interesting I don't know um, on my way somewhere somewhere on, on a cross between walking from the school bus to the salon to where we lived another part of the triangle was um uh, a synagogue, you know, a Jewish temple. And that's, in fact, they, they had a, um, part of it was a um, orphanage. And that's where Vidal went for five years. So I didn't know, because I was younger than him, um, that actually I was passing him pretty, pretty, pretty much every day. Wow. And we actually went to the same secondary school for, you know, years apart. Um, so um, that's just strange that, you know, how these things happen. That, that, it's so fascinating, right? Like, so you guys grew up like literally in the same neighborhood then, yeah? Yeah, I'd say a quarter of a mile. Yeah, a park. Yeah, wow. yeah. And let me ask you a question, sorry, but do, do, you get, do, you, do you get many young people listening to your, your podcast? I mean, you know, they've, they've got such a different world. Yeah, I mean. Way information. The majority of our listeners is probably from what? Well, it's women 24 to 36 is the majority of our listeners. And, you know, I mean, I think that, I think that, you know, with Tony and I, us being like older hairdressers as well, I mean, we, we definitely feel a conduit to kind of introduce the, the, the history of our industry as well. Yeah. I mean, the industry is different right now, but, but you know, there's, you can't forget the pioneers, you know, you can't, you can't forget the, the Michael Gordons and the Vivians and the, and the, and the Trevor Sorbys. And of course, you know, the Godfather himself, Vidal Sassoon, you know, you, you, you can't, for, you, 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 you can't forget those names, you know, um, and, and, and how they've, 
all paths came through those guys, right? So the path that you're on came through you guys. So, you know, we, uh, we definitely feel pressure and we feel a, a conduit between, between, between then and now. Good, good. I'm glad you're doing it. <laughs> Thank you. We, we appreciate it. Well, we're following your footsteps because you know how uh, you know not only with Hair Heroes and and uh, Vidal Sassoon the movie. You know what I mean? Uh, at one point, you were talking about how uh, you know we should never forget those before us. You know what I mean? Who shaped literally? Who shaped our industry? And uh, about a, two years ago when we started the podcast, we wanted to make sure that was a part of our podcast as well. Not only did we tackle other things and, you know, whether it's through, you know, COVID or through business or, you know, telling people's stories to current influencers, we wanted to make sure that we got uh, pioneered uh, influencers too, because they were the original influencers. Influencers. Yeah, I mean, there, there is no industry without, without all that. So, know? so when, <laughs> How did you become an apprentice for your mom? I mean, how did that conversation come about? Because you were young. Well, um, uh, probably from about the age of 10, I used to stop off there on the way to, to where I lived. Because the bus, school bus was there, got off, went upstairs, hi, mom. <laughs> oh, because when, when she was... When I was about seven, she opened a salon. That's what happened. My grandfather passed away and he left her some money. So she, she went to a hairdressing school and uh, bought this local salon, um, which was you know the same street as we lived. So I got used to it. And then probably from about 11, I used to work there on Saturdays. Um, and I... I didn't say it wasn't that I liked hair. I didn't really have an opinion about hair. I liked the fact that we had more money, you know, because, you know, at that point, I, I, didn't, I had no clue what I would do when I grew up because I knew I wasn't an academic. Um, so when I was about 15, um, they got a letter from the school that I was going to saying that I actually never went there. Never went there. So, <laughs> no. American for that. We used to go in the front door, sign my name and walk out the back. <laughs> I didn't do anything terribly bad. I just didn't, you know, school wasn't killing it for me. So I just, you know, didn't waste my time there. Um, so they said to so my parents got this letter from saying, your son, you know, appears to be delinquent. Um, and I said, yes, that's true. Um, um, so they said, what would you like to do? So I said, I'd like to become a hairdresser. And uh, they said, fine, no argument. Because, um, you know, it, wasn't, it still wasn't a, a career as such that people thought of, oh, my God, I wish my son, I pray my son will become a hairdresser. That, that wasn't happening. Um, but uh, they said, you can be, okay, fine. So I started, I was barely 15 and a half years old. I mean, I have twin girls now who are 15, and I can't imagine how I could have, dealt with the world that I was thrust into because I didn't go and work for my mother. I went to work for one of the most famous salons in the world, um, but it wasn't Sassoon's. Um, so I interviewed at two salons and chose, strangely, strange choice, I chose the old-fashioned one, not Sassoon. <laughs> so and then, and then eventually, after a few years, when I uh, had... Uh, 
kind of graduated, my, my mother said, do you, want, do you want the salon? And I said, no, you can, you can keep it or sell it. But it wasn't for me. It was a local salon. It wasn't um, appealing. I would trained in this awesome place called Rene of Mayfair, which was, which was like going to another planet. Um, so the idea, of, there was no appeal to, to work in a neighborhood salon. So, so you said you, know, you chose that salon over the Sassoon's, but so at, at that point in time, was Sassoon making a, a huge splash? Was he like, cause I, obviously I guess he was disrupting already the, the industry with, with, you know, a different vision. Well, yeah, well, he was already God. <laughs> right. <laughs> Literally every single boy and girl in, in London worked at Sassoon or, one of the offshoots, you know, there were, there were so many copies. There was uh, Crimpers and Leonard and House of Leonard and it went on and on. Um, but um, I, didn't, I didn't go to any of those. Do you want me to tell you why? Yeah, yeah, yeah please. please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, that was the next question. Yeah, you... <laughs> um, did he, did, are you familiar with the, the Steve Jobs uh, autobiography? Biography? Yeah, 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 yeah. If you read it, or it's it's not it, it's famous anyway. So so he Steve Jobs talks about and actually in an interviews he talked about it when when he was alive. Um, he said, <clears throat> you know, you I think he said you go through life, uh, you know, having leaving dots, and eventually when you look back, you see how the dots got you where you are. You know, basically, it's uh, you know you do lots of things that you don't really that aren't um, so they seem they seem random. They don't seem like they're thought out. I've never felt like I had a thought ever about anything. <laughs> I just tended to trust my intuition before I knew how to spell it. Um, but so it was it was a, sort of a practical thing. You know, I got used to my mother's salon. Women came every week. Uh, and then, you know, I got tips, so it was money for washing the hair. Um, and then when I was at Rene, um, it, it was, that was like, wow, wow. This was, the, you know, the most prestigious non-Sassoon type. It was it's sort, of, sort of from the era before. Um, and I remember, you know, going there. Uh, so let me explain how I got there. So I'm going to become a hairdresser, and um, there's a, chap that lives down the street in an, in an apartment and he has a salon and he's really cool he's, he came from Sassoon uh can't remember his name but um you know it's like wow he's a he's a, he looked really cool and his wife was beautiful and it was 60s but I didn't really understand all that at the time so he said well come for an interview so you know I went with my mother uh to to the interview it was in Knightsbridge I think it's a bougie neighborhood and um I sat with my mom and I looked at this, it was a man or a woman, I can't really remember, cut someone's hair. And I, and I was like dumbstruck because I'd never, ever seen anyone who cut hair like that. You know, in, in, with my mother, it was like, cut, cut it off because it's too long for the rollers now or something. <laughs> you know, um, so it was mesmerized. I watched this hair sort of fall into place. Um, and 
bizarrely chose not to go there. So that wasn't, it wasn't calculated. It wasn't, I don't even remember a discussion. It was sort of, I just thought going to Rene would, would expose me to, um, did you feel? Did, did you feel like when you were at Vidal was, was it just was it just overwhelming? Like like it was just something like almost from the future, and you didn't know how to like uh, process it, or was it just was it intimidation, or did you go to Renee because you're like, okay, well, this is much better than what I've been doing, but it's closer in the in the same trail in which I've been which I've been foraging. No, it was because um, the interview was on a Monday. It was closed, so, so it was just. This person getting a haircut, my mother and I looking, and I was just going, ah. <laughs> all struck. And, and I, 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 get, I, yeah, yeah, I went to Renee for an interview, and um, um, there was a, a, a fancy manager. manager. It looked like a palace. palace. Um, 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 I, I don't I remember, remember, honestly, in much of the discussion. It was like you couldn't, you couldn't go, wrong go wrong way, but something, something led me to, led me to, to, to go to the go other. I'm talking about intimidation. Excuse me. Okay, so how I think, as I've told you before, I don't think. I just instinctively do things. Sometimes they actually work out. <laughs> I think this is one of those moments where I intuitively did this thing, not knowing intellectually or or in any way why it was a good decision but it was a good decision uh, which i can talk about later if you want well yeah because if you connect the dots all the way back uh from where you are now to back then of of course i mean it, it was a great decision because it created or it helped create the person who you are today which is you know a legend so so how long were you there for was there for three years that was the apprenticeship apprenticeship um, um, I remember every, I remember name, every name of every stylist in the salon, salon. Um, and you'd, you'd rotate and you'd, you'd for about three months. About you'd, three months you'd, 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 you'd assist this one or that one or the other one. And, um, and um, I, for some reason, I got, I got to assist the best people. Best people. Um, um, and uh, and uh, it was just, uh, I would take up, you know, 20 interviews, 20 interviews to, to describe to you what it was really like, what it was like, but it was really, really an education. education. And the people, and the, the people, people that came, they were not ordinary people. I mean, ordinary would be just be wealthy. They were titled, they were princesses, they were countesses, duchesses. They came in once or twice or three or three times a week. So I'm I'm looking at I'm looking at I'm almost learning almost French learning by listening to all this international chat going on going on and, um, and um, the way the women dressed the women and I'm hearing names, 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 names you didn't you didn't hear here everywhere, everywhere. So I'm beginning to hear about fashion designers etc etc and and. We used to get, obviously, the ladies, ladies, all our ladies went under the dryer. There was no blow drying. drying. This was mid-60s, and uh, and, uh, this was shampoo and shampoo time. Um, um, And it was part of their life. life. They had to be well-groomed. So in the salon, we would have magazines, of course. It was the first time I ever saw a Vogue magazine. My mum didn't read Vogue, you know. In, in maybe Women's Own, yeah, Women's Own, really incredibly dull magazine. So, um, so, um, I, so I found Vogue, but more importantly, found American Vogue. American, American Vogue um, um, was uh, mid 60s, it took off. So, I used to, so 
if, if nobody was looking or it was my lunchtime, I'd flip through these American Vogues and I'd start seeing names of hairdressers. So hair by this one, hair by that one, hair by Leonard, hair by, no, not Leonard, that was, his, he was English, um, Kenneth. Um, so I, I imagined what this place was like, especially the, the house of Kenneth. It was like, wow, there's this amazing house in, <laughs> in uh, New York City where, you know, it would be like Willy Wonka's factory, but, you know, but only in, in t- terms of it was so different and it was so intimidating. I don't think I said a word for the first year. You know, it was too, too scary. Right. Wow, that, that, that's that's. I could go on on for about days. So you know, just shut me up. <laughs> shut me up. <laughs> no, we love these kind of stories because they, it just dives a little bit more into the pers- You know, gives us better perspective of how you you see and feel. But when you said you you, you go on kind of gut instincts, uh, were you just never content, or uh, like because by the time you were go ahead, I'm sorry. Hundred percent. I was never content. I still, I'm still not. By the way, so go on, go on. <laughs> that was very astute of you, by the way. Excellent. Because you, you were very young, uh, out of apprenticeship when you opened up your first salon, correct? Yeah, yeah. I was about twenty. Yeah. So. It it, it, it amazes me. It, it it wasn't even in England. What? Where'd you open your salon? The first one was in, in, Johannesburg, in Johannesburg, South Africa. How'd you get to South Africa? Well, I had a brother. Well, I had a brother, and, uh, and uh, he'd sort of done the three-minute three-minute version of version learning to be a haircutter. He comes. He's back in London. He'd been in Canada. He come, comes back to London, bored out of his mind again. I doesn't want to work in a salon. So my mother was going to visit her sister in uh, South Africa. So he goes with. Um, and within three, four weeks, he'd opened up a, a 200 square foot salon and, um, he got a lot of ink cause he looked like Jim Morrison. Uh, I said he grunted a lot. He didn't say much, but they called it the guy who does the London look, which was this shags, you know? Right. So, you know, he modeled and he cut hair and, um, eventually sent me a ticket. I don't really know why, because we never really got on very well, but he said, you know, come and visit me. So I go, you know, and I got off the plane. I had this full length brown leather trench coat um, and suit. <coughs> and, you know, I stood out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I stood out. like, oh, people don't dress like that here. <laughs> Hold on. I think we skipped... <laughs> From from apprenticeship to uh, to um, South Africa, but literally in between there, didn't you become the creative director of Elizabeth Arden? In in between there, I mean, literally like a year. I'm sorry. I can't believe you read that and remember it. Um, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I had this instinct in me. I still have it. I still have it. It would make things better. So. I had to leave Rene just because it was like too much pressure that I'd trained there and assisted this man called Claude, who was, you know, like we'd have another, we need another four hours to talk about Claude. 
But I was his assistant, and he says, oh, you know, I'm going to go to New York and work at the House of Brevnell, very prestigious House of Brevnell. He says, you'll come, right? come, right? I said, sure. But how does, how does a, like a, a prestigious place, I mean, was it prestigious then, Elizabeth Arden, bring on a young teenager to, as creative director? That's that's pretty so, impressive. So after I left so Brené, I, I, I went Brené, to work in a good salon, but not you know not in the class I was used to. And so I had a sort of mentor, American family, very wealthy film producer. The the woman took a liking to me, like she was basically my mentor, and so. And her husband was very nice to me too. And they said, oh, you should go and work at um, Elizabeth Arden. Because I'd run out of places to work. That's what it was. <laughs> so a few months later, I was walking home and I looked in a window and I saw a guy I used to work with at one of the, you know, not so cool songs. I said, oh, hey, he was Italian. Hey, you know, Marco, how are you? What's going on? He said, oh, I'm starting at uh, Elizabeth Arden. It's reopening next week or the week after. So I said, really? Hmm. <laughs> I keep, keep walking and I'm like, yeah, I'm like, my head's down, I'm like walking. And then I get back, get the phone, call Elizabeth Arden, say, oh, you know, I need, I need an appointment. <laughs> so they gave me one. So uh, this time um, they hired me. <laughs> it was, it was... Uh, it was prestigious, but not happening at all. So um, I was a bit of a troublemaker because I was always criticizing the way they did things. And uh, after a while, I said, you know, I, I think you should let me talk to, to the, you know, the, the president of the company. <laughs> <laughs> so God knows why, but they let me. So they say, what? Yeah, they, they let me talk to this man. He says, well, what do you want? I said, well, I've got this vision for, you know, this place. And it's like nowhere, the hairdressing here, you know, I could get you these people from Sassoon and, you know, I could recruit people and we could do this and we could do that. And he listened very politely and um, didn't obviously give me the job. <laughs> <laughs> Yet. <laughs> but that, that was the kind of, that's how I thought. That's how I thought. It was like I was a, like ske- I was a schemer. A schemer, you know. I sort of saw how we could pull things together. And, you know, in hairdressers, I didn't realize it. Hairdressers didn't really think much. I didn't think, I thought much, but I guess I saw visions, you know. I mean, not like sessions. I just sort of saw how things should be. And sometimes, most of the time, I didn't know why it made sense to me. What was your vision there? I mean, you know, because I mean... I'm assuming at the same time, you know, Vidal's taken off. Vidal's like, as you said, like, you know, like this, like the Messiah almost, right? Like when, when he's coming up and now, you know, you're coming into this other company with, with, with other visions. Were your visions like, I don't know, was it ego? And were you in competition with Vidal and, and not Vidal the man, but kind of like that whole movement or, or what was it? What, what was driving you and what was your vision? And what did you see that, 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 that you thought that should be different? No, it wasn't like that at all. No, Vidal was was on a different level. I mean, to to, 
to anyone because I mean he did create something that was in so many ways um, uh, what did you say not destructive um, uh, constructive you know was a, not, uh, he, he changed he changed everything and, uh, I don't I, I don't know what he was thinking maybe he, he, he sort of had more of a plan than I did I just um, fell into these things and then um, but I had after five years in South Africa it was enough then there was uh, quite a bit of uh, um, unrest with um, apartheid so you know if you, if you were a white person you sort of had to make a decision are you going to stay living there essentially forever or are you going to pick up and leave um, because it, it wasn't dangerous but it was you know the situation had to change apartheid couldn't con could continue um, so I had, I had one young daughter I was married and um, I decided you know, it was time to leave somebody talked to me into uh, New York um, they said oh look you know this like sounds like a bad Back script from a movie. If you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. They did. They left out the fact that you'd probably be dead halfway through. <laughs> it, it was crazy. There was the, the three. There was myself, an Italian partner, friend, and a German. And the German was the brains. He, he decided he was the brains, and he was because um, he'd had a, um, a whole slew of salons, basically a chain. Um, so he found myself and Antonio, who, who we, the best, uh, the best known hairdressers in, in Johannesburg, and he convinced us that we should join up. So um, the plan was, I come to America and you know try and do do well, um, and he, uh, Antonio was supposed to do the same in somewhere in Europe, or probably Italy, and then the German was you know the mastermind behind. Um, then we realized that at some point he was so smart that, you know, he'd make a lot of money and we'd, we'd, we'd be screwed. Um, so we sort of broke up the partnership and, um, I was already beginning to have success in, in New York. Um, so, um, so then Antonio abandoned the idea of going to Europe and he came to uh, join me in, in New York. Mm -hmm. Have you ever have you talked to the German uh, gentleman uh, since uh, you guys split that trio? No, no. So the German would come, and he he basically laid out. He found us an accountant. He did all the back end. He was he was a really shrewd guy, really smart. But um, after a year there, I, I I became ill, quite seriously ill. You know, I had a lung abscess. So I had this lung thing. Uh, didn't die. They came out of hospital, and the salon took off. Um, you know, it really took off. We we had this amazing piece of uh, publicity, and um, so the the three of us split up. Yeah, was that the Bumble and Bumble salon? It was. Yeah, yeah. When I got there, and, and at first it was we took over this place. It was an old fashioned place on Fifty Seventh Street. So Fifty Seventh Street was known as Hairdressers Row. It was the place to be. We found we found our market. Our market was sort of anybody. Um, we were like a downtown culture that was uptown. Mm -hmm. That was very unusual because in in New York, it was all the top salons were basically the same. They just 
poached from each other and opened another place and then they poached you back and um and they were all madison avenue sort of people and fifth avenue sort of place i, I didn't want that so um somehow i i, I figured out that uh, we uh we should we should train people you know that um we didn't want to i didn't want to poach hairdressers and i wanted a place with less chance of them being prima donnas um, um and it really took off we, we we got we trained lots of people and uh we had a sort of cross between the soon you know type of doing hair and the french style and um it was just it was worked it was good yeah it was the kind of the best of both worlds right here you are you have the 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 nice precision cutting or, you know, the, the, the kind of contemporary cutting along with the, the being able to dress hair, right. Mm-hmm. And to be able to finish hair. Yeah. We took, uh, we had Philip Wolf on the podcast and, you know, he's just, he's this great finisher and stuff. And he was, he was saying that, you know, he grew up kind of like the British way of cutting, right. The, the, the Sassoon kind of like precision, but then he went to work for a French salon and he said, that's when he became a hairdresser. He became a hairdresser when he learned how to finish hair. Um, he, he learned how to finish those shapes that he's put in the hair. And, and, and he, he thinks that that's the way it should be in a weird way. Hey, Michael, how'd you guys come up with the name Bumble and Bumble? Uh, it was, I think it was my brother's idea. I think he, he was, um, sitting in London the few weeks he was there after he'd run away from the, uh, the, the women. Um, and, uh, I didn't, I, I didn't want to be called the house of Rene or the house of Leonard, you know, it was like seemed very pompous and bougie. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think I had an instinct that before I, there was such a word as branding, I had an instinct that it wasn't good to attach your name to something because you, you're going to go out of fashion. Mm, that's, a, and, that's genius. And the other thing that, that, you know, what Brits are very good at is this, this self-deprecating, you know, attitude. So they make fun of themselves. So Bumble and Bumble was a joke. You know, it was literally a joke. <laughs> um, but it was disarming. So it would mean that, you know, people felt like, oh, you know, that's funny and that's cute and that's silly. But, you know, um, I remember the first time we had a credit in Vogue, I was like, oh my God, this is so funny. They have no idea, especially French Vogue. I was like, they have no idea we're taking the piss out of them. Oh my God. So, so what, so what's the joke? What's Bumble and Bumble mean? mean anything <laughs> it just <laughs> it's just gibberish yeah kind of it was just you know like i say self-deprecating we we're making fun of ourselves um but i knew that if you had 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 stylists that um you know were at bumble um they'd find it hard to leave because then we, we got such a sweet spot in in the market that um you know they never left, and and we got so much publicity that there were always new clients. Um, That's awesome. So, how did the product come about then? I was asked to consult for a few different companies. Um, first one was SC Johnson to make Johnson wax. Um, sounds very strange, but at the time they they had some hair care. I think it was Pert or Prell or uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had this client i loved she was crazy 
wonderful character and she she was a an art director slash um probably brand advisor and so she she got them to pay me to come out there um, a few times a year and then i did some product i did a project for l'oreal i did it for a while i was doing a lot of creative for Weller. In those days, there was a the top model agency was Elite. It was called Elite Models, and they had a contest every year. It's called Elite uh, Model Model of the Year. Yeah. So um, we 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 used to do most of the new girls' hair for Elite. So we were doing um, it was a Sunday. We were prepping all the girls' hair for the uh, the event. You know, the, the judging or whatever it was. Um, and I asked, um, in those days, we had an editorial hairdresser called Orlando Pita. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing hairdresser, phenomenal. So I said, I, Orlando, do you, could, do you mind coming to help us, you know, blow dry these girls here on a Sunday? So he said, sure. And um, so I'm watching and I'm going, oh, my God, we, we have no clue how to dress hair, you know, blow dry hair the way he's doing it. It's like the, the, the bell went off. Um, and um, we, we, didn't, we, we didn't really have product in those days. We weren't using it. But um, I decided then and there that we, we needed to um, make products that guys like him would use um, because they certainly weren't going to use Wellers or L'Oreal's or any of that stuff. Um, so that, that's when the idea came in, into my brain. Yeah. That's then brilliant. Did you consult? Did you consult him then, or consult hairdressers like him, of what they're looking yeah. for in a product? It's just a different level of con- confidence, you know, and, and ability with some of these guys, and he was one of the best. Um, but they're also using, you know, strange oils. It was almost like they were taking oil from a motorbike and slapping it on the hair. And- <laughs> product called phytoplage and um, yeah that was very oily but it looked great um, uh, and when you're yeah I call it the racing car thing but when you're asking when you're trying to test the efficacy of the product it's very different if you're uh, if you've got a Tom or a Joe or even me trying to see how good it is we've got a team like Orlando and other people that we had on board um, they're it's like fine dining instead of fast food, okay? So the, the fine dining uh, chef, you know, has you know, the 20 ingredients, knows how to mix them and make something, you know, that's incredible, uh, which you don't get in, in uh, fast food, obviously. Right. It was very different because what I'd learned being a consultant for all these companies was that they didn't know how to, they didn't know how to make product because they wouldn't have known what it was if it hit them in the face. Because they were just copying someone else, so L'Oreal mm. would copy Weller. Weller would, you know, go backwards and forwards. So they'd fight over, you know, turf. But uh, you always saw everything different anyway. So you're like, I don't care what they're doing. This is what I see. This is what I want to do. And that's true. And they were they were copying just whatever the other one was doing. So they tried to make it, you know, as good as what was out there, not knowing that it needed to be completely different. And and sadly, 
I mean, that still goes on, right? I mean, look, Olaplex comes on the comes on into the market space, you know, and now everybody has like a bond builder, right? Everybody's kind of kind of use that. So the it's industry like has surf a, spray. It's like everybody has a sea salt spray now. That's yeah. Were yeah. you the first one on the market with that? With like a with the sea spray? Yep. Because I know yours. Yours was definitely the very first one that, that I ever used. It's the first one I've ever seen, yeah, I've ever used, and now everybody has a, has one. Yeah. How did you guys come up with the surf spray? It was like, let's try to to get, you know, second, third day hair immediately. Right. right. It's exactly what it gave you. Yeah, exactly. Love that. When did, when did uh, Michael, when did you, um, when did you meet Vidal? I think it was in the mid-80s. Oh, you you probably might know this. Do you remember they, there was a hair color uh, festival in Florida? Um, Jesse Briggs. Um, it's called Hair Color USA. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely remember uh, Hair Color USA. Somebody said, oh, we want to put on an event and raise money for, you know, for hairdressers who are suffering from AIDS. So they said, would you help? I said, sure. And... Um, so this this hair color USA thing was was planned for a few months out, and I said, "Well, look, can I take? I think I'll let me take pictures, portraits of you know the important hairdressers that are coming to this thing, and uh, maybe that well, we'll sell the prints, and you know we can make some money and get some publicity." So, um, so there were the, the there were the easy people to to get. Um, I've forgotten half their names. Um, but the key was telling everyone Vidal was going to be coming and he's, he was going to be you know, sponsoring it and he was going to be photographed. So that's the first time I met him. Wow. You know, he thought I was an English photographer because <laughs> <laughs> camera's hanging off, but we'd never met before. Uh, but uh, he was charming and took his picture and Louis Longaris, um, I don't know how many people we took pictures of. Um, and then I turned that idea into the um, Hair Heroes book. Right. Getting, so to, to get to the, those people, I said, oh, look, I'm doing a book and Vidal Sassoon's already agreed to be in it. So would you like to be in it? And of course they said, yes. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Right. Um, he wasn't really a lie. It was just stretching the truth. He just didn't know he was going to be in the book. <laughs> <laughs> So then I roped him into coming to all these events where I swear one day after some hair show, he, he signed 500 books. He didn't sign them the way I signed them. That's how I signed them. Get a big Sharpie. That was it. Thank you. His was, so what's your name? Oh, and then he talked to this woman, man, and you know, he'd spend five minutes writing, you know, a dedication to them. And so it taught me a big lesson, you know, um, big lesson. You know, I realized that he just changed that person's life for anywhere from a minute to forever. You know, it was like the highlight of their life. He took it very seriously. So I started slowing down with my, you know, speedy approach and making it more personal. It's funny, even wow. outside of hair, he's mentoring you on how to slow yeah. down and appreciate what's happening. Well, you could, you know, it would, it would, you know, impact that person's life, which, you know, 
but he, he was much more outgoing than me. You know, I tended to shy away from that stuff, but I realized that wasn't, that was wrong. So I owed it to them to, uh, you know, step out of my comfort zone. Mm. Wow, there's so many lessons. I mean, yeah, and actually, I mean, Mike, I'll lean on you a little bit here. Um, you know, when, kind of when Tony and I were coming up, we we're about a half a generation past Vidal Sassoon. I mean, he was still honored and stuff like that. I'm not saying that, but, but you know, the ones that we looked up to were like, you know, like Trevor and, and those lot there. Um, but you almost never hear a bad word about Vidal. Like, like he's like, even what well, was Vidal? It was, it was Trevor, right? Who said that Vidal came to visit him in the salon one day and, and he was just so, so honored and so uh, charmed by that, you know? Um, I mean, the the guy that we see in the movie or the guy that we hear about is is is, is that the Vidal Sassoon that we all know? I mean, is that is that the guy? Pretty much. Um, I, I got criticized a little bit for um, over uh, glamorizing him or, or or taking away the ugly bits um, and. Uh, you know, as as the person making the film, that was up to me, right? So I did leave out bits that some people wanted to maybe talk about, but I didn't see the benefit in that. He, but he invented himself. You know, this is the thing about Vidal. Was, I, so we filmed him in Los Angeles. We filmed him in London. We filmed him in New York. Um, we could have gone on for, you know, forever. He'd always give you the same answer, literally. So... I said to him towards the end of the filming, I said to him, look, you know, we we need something that's not like I, you know, not so scripted. Did you have something that you can give me that, you know, we haven't, everyone hasn't heard before. So he said, okay. Like that, that wasn't me. I'm I'm mimicking. So he did, and he talked about his daughter um, committing suicide. And, you know, it's funny because it's making me sad. Um, I'm I'm feeling like I was there because I was. And it was sort of silence. I listened to him. And uh, Vidal created himself. He was a Cockney. Cockney is a person who speaks English really badly with, with a funny accent. Um, he, he took elocution. He really did learn how to speak. Um, um, he studied all sorts of things. Um, so he, he, he created himself, you know, and that's... Um, and I thought that his ability to in, help people and inspire people and, and um, make hairdressers look look really good was uh, much more important than saying, oh, you know, this one said that about him or that one or, you know, his wife said, you know, he... Yeah, at the end of the day, the movie was about how he changed our industry, not necessarily uh, what people thought of him, right? It's about... Yeah what he has done for our industry. Well, I mean, even, even, even the bigger take from the movie that, that, that Michael made of it out was that, you know, he changed the world. I mean, like, you know, I, I, I don't, I forget who the quote was, but wasn't the quote, like, if you've ever held a, a blow dryer in your hand, you've been inspired by Vidal Sassoon. I mean, like, 
who in the world hasn't, you know, certainly who in the Western world hasn't held a blow dryer in their hand? You know, that, that, that all traces right back to Vidal. You know, we're not sitting under hood dryers. We're not, we're not doing the, uh, the, the teasy wheezies, you know, we're doing the, we're doing the, 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 the shapes and the blow dryers. Yeah. But the point was like the, the movie was, it captured what he has done from the industry. Not necessarily sure. who cares about all the junk that might be on the side of, because uh, every you know anybody can say anything about anybody, right? Sure. So none of that really holds any value in the sense of what he has done in the industry. So and I thought you captured it great because you know I, I've seen it several times and every time it feels like I'm watching for the first time and and it just because it, it takes me back to an era of you know being by your he, he was totally by himself, mm-hmm. you know what I mean on oh, a yeah. and all. Sort of like what you're doing, like you go in, oh, I have an idea, you know what I mean? You, you're like, you'll go in and you want to change something or you want to go, you know, that you guys are doing this, I'm going to do this. And that, and that's what Val did, Vidal did back in the 60s when it came to haircutting. Yeah, there's no doubt. Michael, how'd you talk him into doing the movie? Well, I think he was, um, he was about 77. And uh, I said to him, I said to his son, he, he, what's his name? His son's name, Elon. 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 You know, what, what are you going to do for your dad's uh, 80th birthday? He said, I don't know, you know, worry about it when, when we get there. So I said, well, you know, why don't we make a film? He says, yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. I've made films before. Okay, brilliant. Um, uh, but then, um, let's put it this way. He, he seemed to be too busy for the next few years. Um, right. Went to Vidal and made a storyboard, you know. Like the one behind one <laughs> And said, you know, let's, uh, let's make a film about your, your life. And he sort of said, you can do that. I said, sure. You know, I've done lots of filming. <laughs> he'll be in my book <laughs> that's what happened was it was uh, it during the process of the movie that you realized that your lives paralleled or or was it something that you knew even prior to that no i i, I don't think we did you know um because because the, the opening scene is of him walking down the street towards this orphanage and at the other end of the street was where I used to live. So I didn't know because he was about 20 years older than me. Um, so, you know, we, we were worlds apart, but. Um, That's crazy. Well, again, we're, we're, we're big fans of you. We're big fans of, of, of the movie. Um, I, uh, I could talk to you all day about Vidal Sassuna. You know, kind of, Michael, you're like, you're like our, our, you're our conduit to Vidal, right? Because, you know, we, we kind of never had a chance. We would love to, we would have loved to have brought him on the podcast and kind of talk about his legacy. And, you know, you're kind of that uh, conduit for us, you know, try to, you know, try to, because you knew him so, so intimately and so well. So anyway, thank you for, uh, for doing the movie. I don't think there's been a hairdresser in America that hasn't seen it. And if there is, then they should go see it. Um, it's available on Amazon Prime, I think is where I watched it most recently. Mm-hmm. But, but um. Did you, uh, how'd, how'd the movie do? Oh, go ahead. Somehow I was watching it because somebody sent me a BBC 
a link to you know a five minute version or something like that and and I was like wow it's a really good film it was the first time I'd recognized it I was always too critical you know it's like can I, I have to cover my ears if I was going to watch it but uh, I, I was I was pleased I was like wow this is really something special that's awesome yeah I I, I thought you you did a great job of capturing who he was. It was, it was brilliant. Yeah, I, I I really appreciated it as well. Um, and just that, you know, this industry that we love so much that we have somebody that the rest of the world kind of got about what our industry is and who our industry is. And 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 like you were saying, he he's just. I've never heard a negative word about him. Um, certainly not from hairdressers and just how giving he was. And, and even to Michael's point to where, you know, he would do an autograph and it'd be a five minute autograph, you know, I mean, that should, that, that should be something that, that we honor and that we spotlight. You celebrate, let's celebrate it. You know, we should celebrate that. You know. So, but yep. you, so, but you made that, how long did it take you to make the movie? Because you made it after you sold Bumble and Bumble, correct? Yeah. I, yeah. I had to ask that permission actually. Yeah. He needed some money to make the film. <laughs> Spent my own money, but um, uh, they still had to, you know, not object to me doing anything because you get a contract this big, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. You know? um, so, um, but it was fine. Um, How long did it take you I, to make it? Two years. Maybe two years, one and a half. There's a point we had a showing, you know, there's a screening, there's, there's this thing that you do. So we had this producer and he said, well, you have to have a, you know, we have to have a screenings with about 50 people in the room. And I remember when we'd watched it, I, I, the room was quiet. And then a few people made a comment and their comment was, well, you know, you've, you've glossed over him too much. And I was like, yeah, well, was, you know, uh, I don't think it's, you know, unrealistic and I wasn't, you know, anyway, um, but I, I walked out of the screening going, shit, I, this man trusted me to make a movie about him and the movie sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Not good enough. So I was, I was, I was kind of depressed. Like, shit. Um, but we fixed it, yeah. But I, I, I didn't, I hadn't until a few days ago thought, yeah, it's really good. Yeah. I can see I that, guess. though. I mean, because one, one part in the movie that, that you guys discuss is, or that Vidal discussed, was just how much of a perfectionist he was. So I, could, I don't know if you could have ever made the perfect film about him without feeling that pressure, like, is it perfect enough, right? Because I think that that, you know, that was probably his challenge. And I, I, it's probably your, well, we talked about it. I mean, it's kind of your challenge too. Are you ever perfect enough? So, you know, now to make this perfect film about this perfect guy from the perfect producer seems like a, it almost seems like the impossible task. Mm. True. Um, he was really kind though. He said to me, you know, you kept me, you gave me two more years of life because he had leukemia and, um, he said, you know, I wasn't going to die until you'd finished the film. Mm -hmm. So, you know, choke, choked up moment again. Um, but he was, he was thrilled because, you know, I took him on most of the press appointments and uh, in L.A. and in, in New York. And he was, uh, 
was fantastic. There were, there were these women were like dying, you know, all these editors. He was, he was really happy with it. Um, but um, for me, it was a bit more difficult. It took, it took a few years to, to be comfortable. Yeah, I mean, you took on the responsibility of it. You took on, you know, your personal friendship relationship where you thought you needed to have this film that that's going to prick everybody's heart the way he has pricked your heart. And, um, but you know, and, and you're always going to be harder on yourself by looking at it, even though you had the criticisms of, of certain people that saying, you know, you glossed over this, you glossed over that, but as a whole, it, you did the, a great job of capturing who he was. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. That, that was, that was really the intention. It was like, uh, and the, and the disappointment was that more of the big companies didn't do anything. So back to you, Michael. Mm-hmm. You, you said you're, you're, you're not content. You know, you, you're never content. You always, you know, want to push on, move on. Yeah. What are, what is Michael up to now? What is Michael doing now? Moaning, <laughs> uh, complaining. Uh, I, I, I'm a little concerned um, about the hairdressing world. I must say, um, I, you know, we we used to say, and probably you know, you would probably be, understand this. We used to say that uh, hairdressing and salons were recession proof, right? Never touched us, really, never. Um, until the one in 2008-9, you know, that, that made a dent. Um, uh, so I could come back and tell you my thoughts on that if you want. Um, but this one, you know, this, this COVID thing, um, that's really, you know, taken its toll. Um, for some reason, people don't seem to want to get their hair done. Uh, that's what I'm hearing. Um, it's It's... I don't know. I don't know what to say. It's sad. It's um, yeah. I, I I wish it. What well, I wish you know, because they're suffering. Lots of hairdressers are suffering. Um, their their businesses sort of disappeared to some degree. Um, yeah, and we feel it. You feel it too. Big time. Hundred percent. We're we're still behind the chair full time. Well, can't be full time because of the pandemic. You know, we can only be fifty percent capacity, but. We're 50% capacity and our clientele's only come back 50%. So that can tell you right there. It's, uh, it's, yeah. And, you know, we've brought on experts and talked about, you know, the, the impact and uh, some, some experts saying 30 to 40,000 salons and studio suites shutting down, um, through this. Yeah. It's, it's staggering. So Michael, if um you know if people want to follow you or hang out with you or or, or whatever digitally hang out with you, <laughs> where can they find you? Okay, so um, there's the Instagram is at Michael Gordon Hair. Get that? Yep. Uh, MichaelGordon.co. So it's not com. Co. Um, is the um, website. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome, awesome, awesome. 
Yeah. And, and Michael, thank you so much for, for, for everything that you have done uh, and continue to do for our industry. And, and, and again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We've admired uh, you uh, for so long and truly, truly appreciate you um, as one hairdresser to another. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Well, Mr. Michael Gordon, thank you very, very much for joining us on your day off. Hey, hey, so there it is. Hey, this is a message that um, we've been trying to bring, I don't know, for the last couple of months, actually since we started the podcast. Hey, so if you like the podcast or if you find that it's useful, please, please, please leave us a review, a five-star review on iTunes. Um, leave us a rating and a review. But if you don't like it, forget about it. <laughs> Yeah, totally forget about this message. We also want to thank Sarah and Blaine from Pretty Gritty. Uh, Sarah and Blaine, they are a band out of uh, Portland, Oregon, and we just want to thank them very much for allowing us to use their song, Pleased to Meet You, on our podcast. Um, That's cool. I think you can find, actually you can, you can find their music on, um, on iTunes. Peace and hair grease.